bonus episode. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to say much. I'll say it relates to Blade Runner 2049 and our Denis 2049 series. And I'll leave it at that. Enjoy it. Bonus episode. Go see Blade Runner 2049 starting this week. We're back. It's a bonus episode of the Denis 2049 podcast. And you know what makes it bonus? This episode has almost nothing to do with Denis Villeneuve. <laughs> I'm Taylor Gaines. This is the Foxworthy podcast. And if you want to listen to all our Denis 2049 episodes, you can. They're all here, all eight of them. And now we're here to talk about a tangential movie to Blade Runner 2049, which comes out this week. It's Blade Runner that's it, just just Blade Runner. And uh, back again, one more time, from an off-world colony somewhere, it's Sam Hensel. I've never seen a turtle, but I understand what you mean. <laughs> I'll tell you about my mom. <laughs> I, I was very confused as to what those questions actually accomplished. Um, well, if you've never seen a tortoise or a turtle, or if you respond to questions about your mother by standing up and shooting someone... See, that you was the giveaway for me, too. <laughs> yeah. The guy's, like, the guy's laying there on his back covered in blood saying, wait a second, I think this guy might be a robot. <laughs> so we've been toying with the idea of talking about Blade Runner since we started this just because it felt to me like Blade Runner 2049 needed the context of Blade Runner in some way. So we sure. finally did it. We finally sat down and watched the original Blade Runner from 1982, directed by Ridley Scott, starring Ridley Harrison Ford. I'm sure Ryan Gosling had a cameo somewhere as like a two-year-old, but I didn't see mm. it. But was he around when this movie came out? Was he was he shooting crazy stupid love? <laughs> he, nope, just kidding. He was two years old. Oh really? Yeah. Wow, I'm good job. No, yeah, it's because I prepared. Anyway, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's crazy that he's been in Deadpool and Blade Runner in the last two years. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All the Ryans are the same. All the Ryans are the same. Okay. No proof that they're not. So. We're not going to go as in-depth on Blade Runner as we do with other movies. I just wanted to get a little bit of a context a for this Blade Runner 2049. I did notice Blade Runner, which we we watched the original theatrical cut. I know there's like corners of the internet and Reddit or something that would freak out that we didn't watch the, the final Blade cut. The Blade Runner Reddit, yeah. Blade Runner Reddit. But yeah, we watched the original theatrical version, so deal with it. Apparently it took it. place in Los Angeles, November 2019 which I thought was interesting, which means Blade Runner 2049 yeah. takes place 30 years after the events of the other one. And these robots were born or built in 2016 in the movie. So Yeah, so where are they now in real life? Yeah, seriously. Are they on the planet that Tyrell's company is on? <laughs> so what did you think of this movie? I loved it. Or I didn't love it, but I liked it. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier a little bit, um, but... I think this is one of those movies where its parts are greater than the sum of its parts, or than than the whole thing. It's greater than the whole, or whatever. Where I, I think, don't think the, it's wait, a, wait. I think we need to bear down on this. I think the phrase is it, the sum of its parts the, is better than its whole. No, it's right. Its whole is greater than the sum. You want to the the it the noun is greater than the sum of its parts is like the original saying. See, I thought it was the other way because the sum of the parts would imply that you're simply adding the parts like oh wow part one two three four and five are amazing 
but as a whole, it doesn't make sense. But if you add the sum of those parts, it's better than the whole. That's why I thought it was that way. That's what I'm saying is with the case with this movie, but other people, like, like okay, so Arrival, the entire movie is greater than the sum of its parts. Like, all of its parts put together is like a is like a 10 out of 10, but this movie's like an 11 out of 10. I don't know. Like, I don't you know, know what we're talking where, about. Where what you're saying is the individual pieces of this movie are cool. Are better than the movie itself. That's what I think. Right. I think that, like some of these shots, especially the opening shot where they're just floating over Los Angeles in 2049, or in 2019, excuse me, I'm just getting ahead of myself by 30 years, but I think when they're floating over Los Angeles and it's dark and it's grim and it paints, it paints this landscape, and then shots where Harrison Ford is down on the street and we're seeing this really neon futuristic future, I use futuristic with air quotes because obviously that's not the real future, but like their interpretation of this dystopian future is so striking and uh, encompassing and immersive that is that that is amazing and stands out among other movies and is truly great. The movie itself is fine. It's a good movie. But the, some, there are certain elements that are, to me, amazing. It does drive me crazy watching old movies because I'm such a prick, I guess. Like, uh, I just kept thinking, wow, I bet this movie looked great in 1982. Like, it looks terrible <laughs> right. now. All, like, the spaceship flying around and, like, the overhead shots. I'm just like, God, this is so bad. And I just kept thinking of the Blade Runner 2049 trailer and thinking, like, let's just get to Phil News version already. Yeah, it's that's fine. But I think you have to... There's some element of... Unless you're watching, like, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is probably the visually most impressive sci-fi movie ever. Unless you're watching that movie, it's going to feel dated unless it was made in 2017 or 2016. What year did Space Odyssey come out? 77? I'm going to guess 77 without actually knowing literally at all. Oh. No, it'll come out before Star Wars, right? 68. 68? Wow. Jeez. Wow, see, because I always sense, get actually. tricked into thinking it came out in 2001, so it's very confusing. Yes, that would be a silly thing to think. So basically, for those who haven't <laughs> I think seen it... it does, I think it takes place in 2001. <laughs> well, part of it does. For those who haven't seen Blade Runner, the plot is... 2001 came out before we went to the moon. Okay, fair. Come on. So the plot the of Blade awesome. Runner... Humans have advanced pretty far, but far enough that poor people are still stuck on Earth, and Earth is garbage, and all the rich people, it seems, have either gone to live in off-world colonies or are this Tyrell guy. And then yeah, it's like Wally. The people that are left on Earth are just gross, and then some of them are Blade Runners, whose job is to kill replicants who get on the loose, I guess. I, I guess replicants yeah. are basically humans that were created by humans but have like a short lifespan well they're like robots right they're robots but but they look and act like humans yeah and there's like a test that they do to like figure out which ones are replicants i don't remember i I guess they revolted or something i think the the parallel is like slavery they it's sort of west world-ish they realized that they were slaves to the humans and then they revolted and then the humans were like all right well kill them and Harrison Ford is a Blade Runner, and his job is to kill them. Well, he's... He's retired. <laughs> I was going to say, the beginning of the movie is like, I'm retired from this game. Oh, it's so typical cop movie. I'm retired, he can't get... And it has to have the police chief call him in and pour some whiskey for him. That's what I love about this movie. It's got that really 80s cop, renegade cop, I do things my own way, or they don't get done. And there's literally a line from it. the police chief that's like, this is a bad one, worst one yet. We need yeah. you to come back. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, I love that. I love that kind of crap. <laughs> like, that's all the setup I need. I think that's a, a lesson that I hope the new, and it's unlikely because he doesn't seem to 
Denis does not really seem to like to have that much fun. But I hope that's the lesson he takes from the old one, where he's like, I'm not going to try and bore you with a whole bunch of thick plot, but this is just going to be really fun, and he's going to have to shoot his way out of it type thing. I hope it's kind of a little bit of that western-y type vibe to it. Yeah. But I trust him. We'll see. I'm I'm actually curious what you think the new one's going to be about. I mean, this movie is more or less about what it means to be human in the way that Westworld is, where, you know, if I... If there's a line by one of the replicants that says, I think, therefore I am, that kind of thing. So Right. They literally say that. They, they quote the whoever it is, Socrates. Who says that? Yeah. I don't know. Someone philosophical. Yeah, someone listening definitely is going to know this, and I am not. And there's obviously all kinds of plot mechanics and different sci-fi elements to this, but basically it's just a movie about what does it mean to be to, to be conscious, like to, to be a... Sentient. Sentient, yeah. yeah. What does it mean to be sentient and conscious or whatever? That's pretty much all this movie's about, and it's pretty good at that. It's sort of that, we talked about this during Arrival, where it's a big concept sci-fi movie that works mostly just because it's about a basic human question. I think that's sort of, the question is what's interesting here, because, like, it is ultimately about what makes a human human. They take it through the vein of, like, memory is one of those driving forces, and that's what separates us and not necessarily they don't really play on like emotion or i mean to some degree they do dreams but all that has to be like what the only the literally the only thing that separates you outside of like maybe having a soul or something is that you can remember before what happened when you were built four years ago or three years ago or whatever right and it's the same kind of thing though like do the replicants have a soul because they start they're not supposed to have feelings but then they like start to you know it is funny, we talked a lot with Arrival about the past, the present, and the future being all intertwined and being the same, but, like, the replicant that dies at the end of this movie is pretty much, like, when he's dying, he's saying to Harrison Ford, like, everything I ever did, everything I ever saw, it's all just gonna be lost, like, tears in the rain or whatever, uh, right. as if the past doesn't mean anything once it's gone, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. But or at least his, his existence doesn't mean anything once it's gone. Yeah. That's kind of how I took it. Well, yeah. But, you know, and in the same vein as most of the on-the-nose Villeneuve stuff that we got to talk right. about a lot in this series, yeah. there's some voiceover that. in this theatrical version that's like, all they wanted were the same answers the rest of us want. All I could do was sit there and watch him die. And, like, Edward James almost has, like, the, it's too bad she won't live, but then again, who does? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, like, it's pretty cool that it brings up those questions. And my guess, having watched all the Villeneuve movies that we have, is that those questions are what appeals to him in this movie. Also, the opportunity to build out a world that is only slightly alluded to in the original Blade Runner. Yeah, I'm curious what what, what he'll choose to sort of expand upon in, from the original and what he'll choose to... Because I, I, I would be surprised if it's not more complex or it doesn't try to go deeper in things that... Because it's going to be longer and it's going to be more villain UV and it's 35 years later, so it's got to be... Stories this simple don't really happen anymore especially in the villeneuve verse villeneuve movie yeah i don't know what it's gonna be i haven't like i said i haven't done a lot of reading about it because i don't really want to know i really am looking forward to truly being able to walk into a villeneuve movie with almost no context for the first time in his career because for this series obviously we did a lot of preparation and and Mm -hmm. sort of knew what we were getting into so this is going to be really fun but The interesting thing, and I think you might have mentioned this in our last podcast, that Villeneuve has been vocal about how much he loves the original Blade Runner movie. And 
I remember years ago when I first was getting into Christopher Nolan movies too, he was the same way, talking about how Blade Runner was like his favorite movie of all time when he was a kid. And it's interesting to think that we're living in a generation where this specific movie has influenced the directors who are currently all at the height of their powers right now. It's weird. Mm -hmm. I wonder wonder what it is about about this movie that works for different people. Yeah, because I don't really see myself starting a movie career based off this movie. Well, you're also seeing it 35 years after it came out. That's true. Yeah, that's true. It's one of those things like Sopranos where everybody's like, it's the original prestige TV show. And you watch it and you're like, Breaking Bad's better than this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then like other people would be like, well, Breaking Bad wouldn't exist without this idiot. Yes. (laughs) Right. Um, That's a great point. So So I I, I bet it's a similar kind of thing where like, you watch Citizen Kane now, and you're like, I don't understand why this is considered the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, context is important. Yeah, so it's definitely a cool movie, and you can sort of see what's appealing about it. But with the capabilities of production design and visual design and sound design nowadays, it is a little disappointing that the world in Blade Runner is not more built out than it is, but maybe that's what we'll get with uh, Villeneuve. I think that's the best case scenario for 2049, where... I would love I would love if this Blade and honestly I haven't seen anything other than the theatrical version, but I would love if Blade Runner, the original twenty nineteen, if you will, spent honestly, if it just spent forty more minutes of Harrison Ford running around in the streets and getting in trouble, I would have loved it. Him just like chasing people down and shooting them in the streets among all this neon and him eating at Chinese restaurants that he doesn't understand in more neon and getting into trouble is a great movie. That's the best part about Blade Runner. Yeah, so I kinda of skipped over it, but basically He's brought back out of retirement to hunt okay. down these four or five replicants. And, you know, over the course of the movie, one dies, then another dies, then another dies. And then two of them, the couple, take refuge in this lonely guy's house. And then there's a super existential scene where he goes and kills the creator of all the replicants. And they also, they all have a death process of like four years or whatever. And... Mm-hmm. They're trying to extend their life, and, you know, it's got... There's a lot of stuff about life and death, but eventually Harrison Ford confronts the main one, which is named... What is it? Roy? Sebastian? No, no, no. Sebastian was the guy they were crashing with. The guy who looked like Simon Pegg. Yes. Who can't possibly... He can't possibly be Simon Pegg, right? (laughs) Unless Simon Pegg ages better than anyone. (laughs) Although the character in this movie ages poorly, and that was, like, his entire... That was his whole thing. Yeah. (laughs) Like, he's like, I'm 25, and he looks like he was, like, 50. The point is, the main villain's name is... Roy Batty. Roy Batty. Roy, yeah. So the the main villain is Roy, and Harrison Ford has a whole sequence where they're... Which is probably the best part of this movie, I think, where they're chasing each other around this, like, creepy toy house. He somehow gets injured and puts nails through his hands and, like, starts yelling and howling like a wolf. Roy breaks his fingers. Yeah. Taking his clothes off. And then, like, they end up on the roof in the rain together for that scene I mentioned earlier with the time goes by, like, rain or whatever, tears in the rain. Mm -hmm. It's really something else. The guy, okay, the actor is Rutger Hauer, a Dutch actor. And he's great in this movie. I think he's... Yeah, he's perfect. Yeah, he's perfect for that evil, like, Evil, but not really evil. That's what's kind of cool about this movie is the Mm -hmm. twist at the end is like, you know, maybe you should have been viewing this as a slave revolt the whole time and not as like evil robots, you know? Right. Pretty cool. Well, yeah, that's, it's blurry. And that is actually something that I feel like that was really ahead of its time is the, is the lack of black and white. 
people in the eighties thinking here. slavery was bad. Yeah, yeah, seriously, <laughs> it's really ahead of its time. Barely have gotten past it now. That's actually really ahead of, of our time too, probably. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> but like these characters, these more complex, simple characters, simple characters with complex sort of complexities to them, I guess. Like outside of the police chief, everyone has some sort of conflict. But outside of Terrell and the police chief, there's like every character is completely conflicted in in what they view as life and what they view as human. It's interesting. And the main characters, four of them, are robots essentially. And maybe five, depending on whether we believe Harrison Ford is a robot in this movie. I was going to say, that's the big... Or in real life. That's the big <laughs> internet debate that we don't want to get into because it's not yeah. that interesting. Because the point of the movie really is, it's it's kind of like the the best use of ambiguity where it's like, it doesn't matter whether he's a robot or not because he's with this girl that he loves or whatever. And that's the idea. That's the other thing that we didn't mention is he falls in love with one of the replicants, basically. Well, yes. Yeah, so what I'm curious about, given the context of it all, like, basically, Harrison Ford runs away with her, and there's a bit of narration about how, oh, Tyrell said she can live forever or something. And I wonder what the purpose of having... Because one thing I do know about the new Blade Runner 2049 is that Harrison Ford's in it, which means... He uh, doesn't have a death process. <laughs> I say, A, he's either not a replicant, or B, he also is a lifelong, like an endless living replicant. Here's my question. But, Do replicants age? I don't know. Because Harrison Ford, if I'm not mistaken, has aged 30 <laughs> years. <laughs> That's true. These are the questions Villeneuve wants to answer, I guess. But but I'm yeah. just curious, like, what what role his character plays in this new version of this? Like, why do they need to bring him back? What is this? Yeah, that's the question. Terrell is dead. Like, the, the company, I mean, does it thrive without him? Do they have new leadership with Jared Leto or whatever? Are they creating the Nexus 6B or the Nexus 7.0s or whatever, where they're even more... And is it the same the same issue? Do they still just want to suppress robots getting out of hand or going haywire or whatever? Or is there, like, a new ethical dilemma? I mean, that's a, I don't know. I guess that's kind of the question. Because I think we're supposed to get that Ryan Gosling is some sort of... Blade Runner? Air... Yeah, <laughs> like he's an heir to. Well, he's he's not just a Blade Runner, but he's an, like the next Harrison Ford. He's the follow-up Blade Runner. He wears the same coat. He goes to him for help. He's like, I've seen you before. I know what you do, or whatever. I don't know. They're put in similar positions, I think. And we talked a little bit in our arrival episode about how we're optimistic because of Villeneuve's skill at doing sci-fi. Yeah. But I will say, in the context of that Rucker Howard performance, I'm pretty nervous about Jared Leto's role in this movie. I'm so out on Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> because, how do I say this? I don't think he's a good actor. Okay. I agree. Let me let me give one concession, I guess. Sure. Dallas Buyers Club, good movie. He's fine. He's good. But He's fine. Like, I feel like he is the exact wrong person to play the role of, quote-unquote, Roy. You know? If that's what he's playing. Yeah. Because I don't think he is. I think he's closer to Tyrell than anything. Because he's, he's creating the, that's even the worse. replicants in the trailer, right? Oh, no, yeah, I agree. It's definitely <laughs> worse. But here's the thing. Here's here's what makes me the most optimistic. Is that Denis really, really, really cares about this movie. And is trying really hard. So it's not a sellout for him. And if there's anything no. we learned about watching eight of his movies. Is that he invests a lot and he does unique things. To where I don't think that he's going to... And he's talked about the pressure that he's under and the, what what he's what he's carrying on. He knows how much of a risk it is, and he's willing to take the risk. To where I don't think that it's going to be like Star Wars Episode Seven, 
where it's just essentially a retelling of Star Wars Episode Four or A New Hope or whatever. And I don't think he's going to do that. And so I'm hoping that outside of Harrison Ford being in the movie and Ryan Gosling wearing his jacket, it's not going to be the same story. Because if it's not, then we... I mean, if it is, then we have to worry about Jared Leto essentially trying to fill the void that Roy Batty and Tyrell left. On one hand, I think Villeneuve's story is not exactly his strong suit generally, as far as... Yeah, but it's not his story. But, but I think you're right. I think... He really swings for the fences, basically, in every movie that he does right. in one yes. way or another. And the cool thing is, even Sicario, which is a movie that I was sort of hit or miss on as a whole, is still a really, really worthwhile experience because of him directing it, basically. Mm-hmm. And I feel like giving him the keys to a sci-fi world like this just guarantees something good coming out of it. Yes, and I think... So as far as the, the fear for Jared Leto goes, like, I think... Hopefully he'll be able to manage him and not like put him on a pedestal as as people tend to do with Jared Leto as like this is our scary cool weird out there character. Remember when the world collectively was like he'll be a good Joker? That was so stupid. <laughs> that was the worst. That was like the worst take that we all not we all because I do not take responsibility for that <laughs> that people had about about movies. That was I was disappointed in his existence in that movie it's definitely movie, strange you know. in retrospect yes um and so I, i'm thinking he's going to be minimized honestly i think the trailer i'm hoping i mean there's two hours and 47 minutes of this movie that'll be out so it's entirely possible it'll take up like an hour but between gosling robin wright's in this movie mackenzie davis is in this movie yeah i was gonna say the cast in this movie is pretty stacked i'm hoping that yeah i'm hoping Will, will be minimized on the on the on the Leto front, and it won't be as much about good versus bad and the bad is Jared Leto as it will be about the humanity of robots and the bad is Jared Leto. And I, I just want to reemphasize that having Mackenzie Davis in a movie is such a great choice. She's the best part of Halt and Catch Fire, and I'm so psyched to see her be in this universe somehow. Yeah. And apparently, there's a Cuban actress whose name I don't know how to pronounce. It looks like Ana de Armas, probably. Actually, it doesn't seem that hard. On a day, yeah, it seems pretty easy. But Joy. apparently she's getting some hype for this. Not like Oscar hype, just like, oh, wow, look, a new cool actor hype. Yeah, and she's like her, she seems like she's going to be kind of like the Rachel of this movie. Yeah, and then uh, apparently Dave Bautista, did you say that? He's in this? Yes, he is. In, I didn't say that, but he's definitely I don't, in it. I saw him, t- he like turns around and he's wearing really small glasses in the trailer. That's what I I assume he's just going to be playing the same character from Guardians of the Galaxy, just on the Blade Runner planet instead. Yeah. <laughs> I hope whatever character he plays in the in WWF is what he's playing in this WWE, which would be WWF is a World Wildlife Fund. What would that character be? That's uh, just Batista. I think his name is Batista. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what he does. <laughs> yeah, Ty made a wrestling reference on a Survivor podcast once, and I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, unless it's from Glow, I have no idea. Exactly. <laughs> unless it's Allison Brie or. Uh, what's the other girl's name? Mark Marin. Oh. <laughs> Mark Marin. Yeah, I heard the show described as uh, 13 girls and Mark Marin. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is why, that's, no, that's what they pitched it to him as, and he's like, all right. Well, <laughs> yeah, so. But that's not what Blade Runner 2049 is about. I think we're pretty excited. We've obviously done a lot of build-up to this movie, probably more than any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. So, yeah, it better be good. I, I don't see, that's the thing, I don't see a world in which it's not good. And I'm willing to I don't know. It's not one of those things where I'm expecting a lot and it can let me down. I just don't think it can. As long as it's just a long version of the trailer, I'm happy. If they just show the trailer 
for however many times makes it fit into two hours and 43 minutes, <laughs> I'll be fine. The trailer really, like, and I, I can't emphasize this enough either, watching the trailer in an actual movie theater is unbelievable. Yeah. Like, it's it's okay on YouTube. Like, it's cool. It's like a, a real experience. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, I, th- I do think that this is going to be the encapsulation of Villeneuve's visual ability all put together at once. Because Arrival, we just watched recently, and, like, you, I, honest to God, could watch Arrival on mute. I know people say that about movies all the time, but, yeah. like, I would watch Arrival on mute. It's, like, yeah. so great. And I'm a believer that if you just mute uh, Jeremy Renner in that movie, it's it's an even better movie. Oh, there you go. That would be a good callback if we were still on the Arrival podcast. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> go listen to the Arrival podcast so you can understand that reference. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's pretty much all I wanted to say. I, I would mention Blade Runner's based off the novel Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip mm-hmm. K. Dick, who also wrote the uh, book that Man in a High Castle is based off of. Oh, how about that? So, he's got a good mind Wait. for the future. I have one other thought. Is that Chinese guy in this... I don't want to sound racist by calling him Chinese, because I legitimately don't know. Is that Asian-American guy from uh, Blade Runner who sells the eyeballs? Is he, like, 150 years old? Because he's in a bunch of stuff, right? He plays an old man in this movie, and he's in everything. I'm pretty sure. Are you, <laughs> are you talking about James Hong? Yes, James Hong, which I'm looking at now. He's in Kung Fu Panda. He is 82. He's in Mulan. Sorry, 88. 88. Okay, that makes sense. Because he's old in Blade Runner, and he still plays, like, old Asian guy. Yeah, so that was 35 years ago. <laughs> yeah, he is eternal. He is a replicant. That's all. That's all we should really gather from this. So there you have it. James Hong, a replicant. Harrison Ford? That's that's a takeaway. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I... It, oh, it, my... I guess they're not recasting any of the people from the original in the new Blade Runner. I know, yeah. Which is so strange. What would you do? Just Rachel, I guess? I mean, well, you, I mean, if. Maybe Gaff? Yeah, maybe Gaff. Is he still around, Edward James Olmos? He's still alive, right? Yeah, it looks like it. He's only 70. And <laughs> I, I imagine if they're bringing Harrison Ford back, they're going to make Rachel oh, shoot. dead. They are. Gaff is back, actually. Oh, is he? Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's exciting. That's cool. That's exciting. Yeah, I imagine Rachel will be dead, because that way Harrison Ford will have nothing else to going on. Yeah, he'll be even more renegade than before, I hope. And I know if Taylor Sheridan wrote this movie, she would definitely be dead. Yeah, he would say, actually, he would just, she wouldn't be in it, and then he would just say, I just don't see a world in which we could continue her character. <laughs> I love how the latter half of this Tenet 2049 podcast it's just became about Taylor, Taylor Sheridan. Sheridan. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> he deserves it. Yeah, so that's the bare bones of Blade Runner and sort of our thoughts yeah. on it and our anticipation for the new one. So my plan is that you will be hearing this podcast the day or the day before Blade Runner 2049 comes out. So definitely go see that, and we will have a podcast on it sometime. Sometime. We'll, we'll have to see if it's good, like we said. I mean, Sam's already in the bag. I'm in. It's already my favorite movie of 2017. <laughs> Who am I kidding? We're, we're, we'll be back for our Blade Runner 2049 podcast to wrap up the series for real, but this has been our bonus edition on the original Blade Runner by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott. I wonder if he ever had much of, of a career. Yeah, I wonder if he ever did anything else. It doesn't sound like it. Anyway, that's it. Blade Runner, Denis 2049. We are all prepared, so let's do it. We will see you at and the theater. If you live on the east part of the United States, you might see us at the theater. Yeah, there's how many theaters could there possibly be? Not many. 
we'll all be there so i've only been to a few in my life so yeah all right sounds like levi's started playing already oh yep there's levi there it is damn it levi i told you to write a new song all right, right. yeah seriously fine Jeez. bye Bring us off the stage <laughs> like sterling k brown over here what <laughs> i said like sterling k you got, he famously got played off the stage at the last time he's oh done. okay I, topical <laughs> reference i see that's true, this is going to be in the vault for a while, and people will be listening to this for a while, so I don't understand that. So, if you're wondering, Sterling K. Brown is an actor from the year 2017. Yes. in this film. Alright, goodbye. Bye, everyone. Foxworthy Podcast. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the ten hours of gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears in rain. Time to die.